The infrastructure is there, the systems and processes there, but it also allows for enough flexibility for all of the people within the organization to have a lot of autonomy, which is important because that's where the creativity fosters. I love to say we are a creative firm and that doesn't mean just from a design perspective. Our business people are just as creative as our creative staff and it takes everybody to have that open mind and to constantly problem solve and, and, and just be creative in every aspect of the organization. Welcome to episode 105 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And in this episode, I speak with Angela Harris, who is the CEO of Trio Design. And they are based out of Southern California. They've expanded. It's an amazing story how Angela has grown her company from herself as a designer to now 100 employees. We spoke about Wellness Week, which is a huge part of her company and her brand and how important that is for customer retention and for the health and uh, the mental success of her team. And then additionally, the acquisition, she acquired a design firm and the complexity of merging two design firms together and how they've built this into an amazing business. It's just an incredible story of growth, her focus, her resiliency and determination to build this business and the success that she's had is just absolutely outstanding. So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome today to Construction Podcast, and we are very fortunate today to have with us Angela Harris, who's the CEO and Principal of Trio Design. Welcome, Angela. Hi. Thank you for having me. So Angela is doing some amazing things with an incredible firm in Southern California and exploding everywhere. And before we get into that, I want to understand something that was fascinating to me about your firm is something you do called Wellness Week. So what's Wellness Week? Oh my gosh, I love Wellness Week. So uh, Wellness Week was born out of this idea probably five or six years ago. I think this is our fifth or sixth consecutive year of, you know, we are a firm of 95 people and we are very passionate about design. And as a default, we kind of overwork and we get really excited and we just put all of our heart and soul into it. And one day I looked across the firm and I was like, oh my God, everybody needs a break. And so I had this aha moment, like, what if we just literally shut down the office for an entire week and we all came back, re-energized, re-inspired and ready to roll again? And it worked. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, just yeah. the complexity as I think about this. I mean, 95 people, first off, and we'll get into that because I made a note here. I just can't imagine just the management and complexity of, you know, that large of a firm. But getting back to Wellness Week, you know, that... It, it, it's very inspiring you do that, but that's a big commitment. I don't think people realize if you're an owner of that commitment and you think about payroll and cash flow, because in addition to that, I'm sure you have PTO. And so it's a big commitment investment for you in behalf of your team and company culture. Yes, it's a, it's a big commitment for the organization as a whole, obviously financially, but also it's a big commitment for our clients to say, hey, we understand you guys need a break. And so it's a big commitment all around, yeah. So how have your clients taken? I mean, I'll, I'll speak, I'm sure a lot of your vendors, I know vendors we worked with in Europe, you know, Italy specifically, they have times a year in August, right? Where they're shut down for three weeks a month and you have to figure your schedule around that and, and we're just accustomed to that. So how is that for you and your clients? Have there been pushback from any of them? No, you know what? It is actually very well received. It's very well received from the industry, from the clients, from our employees. So we're very lucky in that regard. Obviously, when we first started it, it took a little bit of adjustment, but now that we're in our fifth consecutive year, we're very proactive in communicating when the week will be and everybody's set up for success and away we go. Now with Wellness Week, is that something that you are doing as a company, an outing together, or are you just saying, hey, everybody, do your own thing, take some time off, disengage from your emails, your phone, and just go recharge that battery? 
No, this is purely time that we give back to our employees to do whatever they would like to do. And hopefully it's in the form of self-care, spending time with friends and family, traveling, do whatever what, met, what makes them inspired and excited. I would imagine just if I was an employee and working for you, Angela, and I'm thinking about that, how that would feel. It just it, it would make me more engaged throughout the year, right? It make me more inspired. And I'm sure you feel that too. I, I would imagine the feedback's been nothing but positive from, from everyone involved. Yeah, it's it's very well received. Everybody loves it. Everybody looks forward to it. And um, it definitely works, you know, from a company perspective, uh, people come back inspired, but more productive. So, so is there, yeah, is there a certain time of year when you, you're saying five consecutive years, does that happen a certain month every month or does it change by year? It's different every year and there's different factors that go into each, but I can say this year, one of our driving factors was we really wanted to make sure that the people that had families, you know, specifically small children or so forth, that they had time to spend with them before back to school. So we did it really like a week or two before back to school hit and everybody was so grateful. Lots of really cool things happen. Lots of trips happen. Great, great quality time. I can relate to that, especially with a lot of kids going back to school and just that week before, a couple of weeks before, you know, there's a lot of chaos, you know, back to school. Um, and, and, and I like that thinking, I mean, to me, to do something in August, as you've done, it's another way to think about it as a business owner, because I know a lot of companies and we've done this, you know, in the holidays, you'll maybe close the office, you know, Christmas to New Year's, which, you know, which works great. People could spend time with family, but at times it can be complicated with end of year closings or deadlines. And so really you have to look at that strategically as a company too, to make sure you're still not dropping the ball, but allowing the mental health of your employees to be first and foremost. Yeah, we do. We take mental illness and wellness of our employees very seriously. And so that's always our number one priority, but to combat, you know, just the strategic component of it, we, um, we usually identify the week months in advance. So we have plenty of time to plan. We have plenty of time to communicate to our clients and our industry partners and vendors and so forth. And, um, so there's just plenty of time for everybody to be set up for success. I love that, Angela. I mean, that's very forward thinking. I don't, I can't think of any other company that's doing the wellness week. And I would imagine that you've seen different motivation from your team, company culture. I mean, how's that affected company culture, employee turnover? You know, a lot of the things that we deal with as business owners. Um, you know, like I said, I think it works in our favor. I know that it works in our favor. I know that our employees specifically um, value, it's not just Wellness Week. Trio has really worked to create a wellness program within the firm and every year we enhance that program. So Wellness Week in combination with other resources that we provide, I think is very well received. And I think, you know, all of that wellness programming that we work so hard at is 100% out of our um, outside of our current benefits package and our PTO and all of those things. So it's just another enhancement that we can, we can do to give back to our employees that give so much to our firm and our industry specifically. It's an interesting perspective. I think one thing a lot of us struggle with in the design world, the construction world, it's a very demanding lifestyle, right? I, although you enjoy it, as you mentioned, I mean, there's a lot of passion behind what you do, Angela, but the reality is it's a difficult business. And I, you know, I've said this on the podcast before, but you know, I have clients interview me and they're like, Hey Brad, is my project too small? Am I not spending enough? Am I doing this? And I, and I always tell them it doesn't matter how big your project is, how small I want to work for good people, because the reality is it's so tough and client expectations and our ability to perform and deliver is so difficult. And this is something I constantly look at because 
I see with my team and wellness week is a great, you know, thing to have as a company, which, you know, is really important to our mental health. But you look at how is the communication with the client or the trades and the subcontractors and suppliers, right? With my team and staff and how, how, you know, that's something we try to monitor. How often are they having to work late nights or weekends and be responsive to phone calls and texts, which some clients in their defense, you know, they're off work late, they're texting. And it's not like they're going to just text at 9 a.m. They're going to do it at 9 p.m. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it stresses out the team. And so is, do you have protocol with your team to say, Hey, I mean, now it's not a wellness week. There are certain hours that I expect you to be responsive, you know, to our clientele, but there's also that time where you do have to disconnect. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I say it all the time. I think, you know, people don't often voice that we do work in a very stressful industry. We work in a very demanding industry. I just said to my team on Friday, I said, outside of healthcare, where they're actually working to save lives, I think we're in the second highest stressed environment and industry there is out there. So it's good to have that visibility and to be aware and have that awareness of how stressful and how demanding the projects and the clients can actually be in the in the building industry. But I'd have to say we have amazing clients. And to answer your question, as far as do we have certain protocols or things like that of when people or our team has to respond to clients, the answer is no. We rely on our our, um, our employees and our team members to have a lot of autonomy to do what they think is best for their team and their project and the firm. Um, and you know we you know the expectation at Trio is that they're an amazing representative of the brand and you know who we are as an organization and our core values. And outside of that, it's it's whatever they deem necessary to make the project successful. So. We don't set protocols. We don't have a whole lot of processes in place to say you have to do this. But by default, we have amazing people who want to do well and they want to do well by the client and the project and the firm. And so they're always working. And it's yeah. one of the reasons why we had to force the issue of, okay, we know we love what we do, but we also have to, you know, have that permission to pause. I love that. I mean, the reality is, and, and, and you, spoke about this as well is that people don't realize how stressful our job is right and this isn't a profession if you're going into design or construction or architecture it, it, it there's a lot of customer service you have to be very customer savvy you have to understand how to set expectations you have to understand how to deliver on those and what's difficult for your job angela as well as mine is that it's not like you can control everything in your little sandbox here because you're dealing with <laughs> millions of products vendors specifications and so the issue is as you go down that line and you're working with products here and overseas and installers and fabricators and everything else, it's very complex. And, and we're as one of them drops the ball, you know, it, it, it's a bad representation, representation of you, your brand, your company, and, and it's a lot to manage and it, and it can take a toll on each of your designers and, and lead project managers. That's right. That's right. There's a lot of touch points in our industry to make, make us successful and a failure for one is a failure for all. And, a you know, a success for one is a success for all. And so, you know, especially now with all of the challenges that we're seeing in our industry, I mean, the rising material costs, the labor shortages, all of the, you know, the um, regulative issues that we're dealing with just to make our projects successful. You know, my philosophy or my strategy as CEO of TRIO was, hey, we're going to be sure and take care of our people first so that the people take care of the, the clients and the industry partners in which we value. So that was a very intentional strategy on our part as an organization. And we continue to lean into it uh, year after year after year. And it, it only 
it only serves the the firm well. Now, I want to touch on this because 95 employees, and you know, it made my head spin when I'm thinking about that because we <laughs> we have, uh, you know, approximately 15 and, you know, they can be stressful at times, you know, a lot of personalities to manage. And so how do you break up the, uh, you know, the leadership, who they're accountable, the teams, you know, because one thing you said is, hey, they have autonomy. And, but the reality is for them to understand that autonomy and be empowered. I mean, you have to have good leadership all the way down for all 95 of them so that they are great brand representatives. So how does that break down to make sure these teams and the leadership there is all on the same page? So we have an amazing infrastructure at Trio, everything from a C-suite to a leadership team, you know, um, to directors, to project leads and designers. That's that's pretty much how we're structured from an infrastructure perspective. And then within those um, it, within that infrastructure, there's teams. And so uh, I think you hit on it. You just have to make sure that you have amazing leaders, amazing, amazing managers, people that want to continually evolve and reach a higher level, both professionally and personally, and that really believe in the vision and the, and the brand. And so we really hone in on that at every single level. And then beyond that, making sure that they have the resources to be successful. So if they want to believe in the vision and the brand and, and do well, make sure that we're giving them the resources to do so. So it's funny. I mean, I, I really, in my 20 year career, I have gone from designer to, to up into CEO and, and now my role is really how can I best support the people within the organization to do what they're best at every single day and to, to allow them to thrive. And I take that job very seriously. So that's, that's how we do that. Well, yeah, it's very apparent. I mean, for you to, to have grown, you know, from designer to CEO of a 95, um, members, you know, in your talent, right. in your talent pool and in your firm, I mean, it's impressive to have that structure and, and part of what, you know, not just the, the management of each of you and, and your team and your leadership, but I think about backlog and job flow and de development, right? Because what's funny about our industry, I'm sure it's the same for you, Angela, is you, you'll, you'll receive the contract. You're super excited about this new amazing project. You, you celebrate for probably five seconds and now it's like, okay, what's the next one? We got like, to keep this. I mean, as a, as a fee business, you know, yeah. it, it, this is a constant revolution that we have to continue. So how, how does that play a role as far as the business development to make sure that the, the sales is representative of what, you know, the, the team you have on board? Yeah. Um, again, we have exceptional people in each of the departments in which we operate, and we have a lot of cross-departmental uh, work going on every single day. So we have an incredible finance and accounting team. We have an incredible procurement team. Um, we have an incredible sales and marketing team to answer your question. People very dedicated to business development. And we have incredible uh, design divisions. We have both a kind of production master plan community builder division uh, that does a lot of model ham sales centers, clubhouses. And then we also have a commercial division of designers that do a lot of um, high density apartment work, um, 55 plus clubhouse work, as well as hospitality. So, um, and again, amazing people in each one of those divisions or departments and amazing people that know what it means to come together on a daily basis and align themselves with TRIO's core values, which is collaboration and communication and all of those things that make an organization successful. And th this is what's fascinating to me is that y your your company structure, I mean, as you mentioned, you're, you're working in master plan communities, you know, model homes, clubhouses, sales centers, right? Hospitality. I mean, there's apartments, even the high density stuff. There's so much complexity. Do you see a lot of crossover between your team members where, uh, you know, for, for one quarter, they may be working on a high density apartment and the next quarter hospitality, or do you try to keep that 
somewhat in their wheelhouse, you know, where it's constant? Um, I think we recruit for well-rounded designers and then we find out what they're really passionate about and we lean into it. And so a lot of my job also is making sure we have the right people in the right positions and that we are identifying what really gets them going and what makes them passionate and making sure they're in positions within the firm to have those opportunities. And so to answer your question, we we seek out well-rounded designers, but by default, they end up kind of pigeonholing them, not pigeonholing, but specializing specializing yeah. in a certain area that that really gets them excited and and we want to foster that and i, I do like that process i i do like that mentality this ge especially if you're in the capital division right and you're working the finance side you know a lot of them they won't even bring them on and hire them a certain role i have a lot of peers that have done that and and it's a two-year internship essentially right when you're hired on they'll say look six months you're going to be investment banking six months in hospitality right finance and you know, also all their different divisions and what ends up happening as they do six months in each of the four areas, they'll say, this is what I love, right? This is what I'm good at. Yeah. This is my talent. And then they, their leadership structure sees that too. And that's really what you're doing. You're evaluating them, bringing someone who's well-rounded, but then you're fine, you know, where they're specialized is going to really give them the best opportunity to succeed. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. And that is a very intentional strategy. And I think, uh, by default, everybody wins. The firm wins. The the people within the organization wins because they're in a, a position to give them the opportunity to work on the things that they're most passionate about. It's just amazing. And so I, this is where it's incredibly complex for me when you start thinking FF&E, right? And so, you know, the furniture, the finishings, you know, equipment, everything goes into it. And so how often on these projects are you actually doing the full turnkey, you know, from design to install and the complexity, if you're doing that aspect, you know, just the staging, shipping, freight, management, you know, procurement. Mm -hmm. We just, I just, that's why I was late to this. I was <laughs> on logistics. Um, it, it is incredibly complex and that's why you have to have the best of the best in each department. But I would say 99% of our work to answer your question is 100% um, turnkey. So it goes from A to Z. We start off with a core and shell building, a ground up construction. We take it all the way through the design process from every single, from lighting to plumbing to finishes to so forth. And then we push it through into a phase two, which is the FF&E and the, the procurement of the actual merchandise and installing. So. 99% of our work is that, and we have an incredible procurement team to help support those efforts, um, a, a team of 10 actually, and um, they do nothing but uh, take the designer's work and they uh, procure the merchandise, they track the merchandise, they work with the receiving companies to receive and inspect and install the merchandise with along with the designers, and then we do a final walk with the client. So. It's a very tedious process. And like you said, it's really important that you make sure that along the way, each one of those steps is met with accuracy and precision and excellence um, so that you can get across the finish line and deliver an exceptional product for your uh, client. Yeah, it's amazing, Angela, because I think you made that seem very, I don't want to say simple, but you made it seem very organized, which <laughs> you are, of course, to pull this off. But the complexity, having been on this side of it to understand when you're working on merchandise and procurement and long lead times that are even longer now and deposits and, and, and what people don't realize, like even when you're buying all your furnishings, right? The inspection, when it's delivered, you have to inspect every piece, make sure it's, you know, it, it's not damaged. You don't sending it back and then you have to store it and you have to stage it and then deliver it and install it. And, and so it's a incredibly complex process and organization that is amazing that you've got 
it down to, to, to the system you have? Well, just just enough, you know, like I said, the infrastructure is there, the systems and processes there, but it also allows for enough flexibility for all of the people within the organization to have a lot of autonomy, which is important because that's where the creativity fosters. I love to say we are a creative firm and that doesn't mean just from a design perspective. Our business people are just as creative as our creative staff and it takes everybody to have that open mind and to constantly problem solve and, and, and just be creative in every aspect of the organization. And there's a different mentality there, which you're alluding to. I mean, you have certain people that are going to be very organized and they're thinking logically, right, as far as systems and procedures and ordering in like a director of operations, essentially. And then you have to have the creative mind too. You have the creative mind, but then you have the logistics side. And those two yeah. do have to speak to each other and communicate very often. Yeah. And I think what, you know, what makes Trio so successful and the, the little bit of the magic is everybody understands that within the organization, that it's not about any one person within the organization and nobody's better, any better than anybody else in the organization. It takes us all to, to get these, uh, these projects to market. And um, it's really special to watch. So what was the pain point? I, I, I'm just thinking, you know, especially for you as, as lead designer and being a designer and have that creative side to now you're running a full-blown operation here. What, I've spoken with other builders and they said, hey, Brad, when we went to you know, 5 million in gross revenue to 15 million, right? It was just like drinking from a fire hose. It was really difficult. Or they went from five employees to 20 employees, right? There's always that, that moment where you kind of hit that threshold, like, where do we want to be? Where do we want to grow? And then there's some pain points as you start to get to that level. So from your side, do you, do you remember that, recall that as you're going from, hey, here's Angela to now we're 95 strong? Oh, 100% without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I, yeah, I'm a pretty transparent person and, I, and I'll be the first one to say that, you know, even the last several years, we went through an acquisition where we doubled in size overnight and that alone was, uh, you know, a lot of things that we had to solve for. And luckily we had amazing people within the firm that came back to the table time and time again as stakeholders. And we shared the same vision and the same values and, and, and put things in place to get us to where we're at today. But, um, you know, just going from an acquisition to COVID to now the, the challenges that our industry specifically are, are faced with, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's been a lot for a lot of people within our industry. So how, going back to the acquisition, I mean, what, what did, were you always looking at expanding? I mean, what was the acquisition itself? Was it another design firm, a similar competitor that you said, hey, let's, you know, let's take this on because it opens up, you know, our portfolio or our location, you know, region, regional access? Yeah, I mean, that was a very strategic move on our part. We, several years ago, got together. We had, Trio has always been comprised of a leadership team, and we got the leadership team together and said, hey, guys, wh wh where do you want to go from here? We're, we're doing great. Where do you want to go? And we all made a collective decision that we really love working together. We wanted to grow the firm. We thought that we could impact our industry specifically. We could build better communities for the people within um, our, the, our planet. And, and we thought that we could continue to expand and make a difference in our world. And so in order to do that, in order to, to accomplish the growth in which we set forth, the, you know, one of the strategies and probably the only strategy to get the growth momentum that we wanted was an acquisition. And so we did just that. We, we, we went down the path of seeking out an acquisition. We, uh, it was a competitor of ours in the same market as far as being headquartered. But what we, what we liked about the deal was uh, that particular firm was playing in markets that we weren't currently in. 
And so it was a direct competitor, but in the essence that we didn't share any clients and it just opened up different markets for us. And so we acquired that firm overnight and, and doubled the size of our firm overnight. It's, it's, an, it, it's, it's a big feat and it's incredibly um, opportunistic in the sense to look at that logistically and say, okay, no, this is an opportunity. Let's go through this. And it's interesting when you speak with, comp with people that have sold their company and they talk about how difficult it is because for those 30 days, 90 days, 120 days that they're selling their company, the audits and the information and the receipts and everything they have to put together accounting-wise. And they're like, this is the most painful experience, right, to sell a company. And from your side, you're, you're requiring all that because you have to make sure you understand, you know, the value of the company, the valuation, what you're bringing in, the staff. And so was there resistance, especially with acquisitions, right? You're doubling the size of your company. Now you're bringing in team members that are in other regions you're not in. You're going to be working with them. You're bringing in your new systems, your new um, HR, right? All these different things. How, how was that just managing the transition to make it as accommodating as possible for the existing personnel that were there? Um, you know, it was it was a hard it was a hard process. I, I now know why 90% of acquisitions fail. And luckily for us, um, we got through it in two years and we became stronger, better, more sustainable organization. But that doesn't happen all the time. And I understand why now. And I think that um, there, you know, I don't regret anything by any means. Um, there was no hesitation in terms of doing the acquisition. It was a, a very well-intentioned strategy. We did a ton of due diligence. And I think what gave me the confidence to move forward in it is that we, again, we had a team of people that said, no, this is this is it. I mean, we had accountants and finance people and da, 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 da. And I mean, everybody we could around the table as stakeholders to say, no, we're gonna make this a success. So we forged forward. I would say probably the biggest thing that I was naive to in going through an acquisition was the culture clash. Um, I, I know a lot of companies say that, and it is it is a true real thing. And, you know, underestimating that people can work naturally work together um, and really having to kind of finesse, you know, different positions and where people go and how people work and, and reinventing yourself in that regard. But what one thing I can say and one thing that I'm very proud about is through that entire process, years of going through the acquisition, we were always very true with who we were and what our core values were, and we never wavered um, in terms of fighting for a very healthy culture, a culture in which would be accepting of Wellness Week and be accepting of the core values of collaboration and creativity and communication and curiosity and, and being courageous and all of those things that I think makes a very healthy organization. And because of that, I think that we have come out of it even stronger. There's a lot of wisdom in what you just shared, and I'll say that, you know, you think about the refiner's fire, typically, especially in our business, I've seen some of our strongest relationships are with vendors or trade partners where things have gone wrong, right? And they've gone wrong, but working together, solving them, that communication, working through it. Now they're our best, best vendors, right? They're our, we've gone through that hard time together. We figured it out and there's this unity that's, that's brought, you know, through that refiner's fire and and something you've said now three times in the conversation is core values right that you have core values that you would not deviate from and that's that's the vision board you're looking at this saying has a company i know where we're going i'm directing the ship i have the core values this is we need to get on board and there yeah there's gonna be some painful moments as we get through this but if we stay true to that and don't deviate in time these things will start to work themselves out and the culture will will continue forward 
That's exactly right. And I always tell my team, I ha- I've never been fond of the slogan, it takes a village, because it <laughs> takes so much more than just a village. I think it takes a group of stakeholders coming around the table that share the same vision, have the same values and come together time and time again to solve for the challenges and to celebrate the wins. And that's what we have. We have that solid group at Trio and I, I will be forever grateful. So, so I love when you speak about core values, I know one of the headlines, you know, of, of Trio Design, right, is, is when you started the firm, you looked at an industry where there were breakdowns of communication with the developer, with the builder, with the designer, especially in the world of commercial development, right, which is where your strong suit is. And so how, being that was one of your core values and visions, right, to start the company, I mean, how has that played a role now in the growth and success of, of Trio Design? Um, I think, you know, when, when I started Trio 20 years ago, it was with the idea that we could be a different kind of partner to our builders and developers. And what I meant by that is, hey, we wanted, we knew we were a strong creative partner because we're designers and, and we can come to the table and give you exceptional design. But I also knew a lot of designers that were friends of mine that were competitors <laughs> and they could deliver amazing design as well. I think what made the difference was, is we didn't want to just be a creative partner. We wanted to be a business partner. And so when we came to the table and we started talking about sales and marketing and meeting budgets and hitting performas and understanding deadlines and milestones, and we paired that with exceptional design and storytelling and visioning and so forth, our builders and developers got really successful and we never wavered from that either. And so it only became stronger and stronger over the last 20 years. And so we come to the table as a very strong partner and we're always looking at what's next. And I have a lot of things of on my what's next in my brain going on right now. <laughs> now we're super excited. Welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. It's one thing to think what's next project-wise, but to think what's next acquisition-wise, you know, and as you expand the company, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a re- relentless pursuit, right? That, that you're behind and, and that energy, you know, so where does that come from? I mean, was that natural to you? I mean, just that entrepreneurship mentality or motivation, it's very unique to see that to someone that's as passionate as you are, Angela, and to continue to push the envelope, right? In growth and complexity and organization and leadership. 
Where does that come from? Um, I don't know exactly where that comes from, but um, I, my grandparents had 10 kids and they all had a family business. And I, I, I grew up being surrounded by very hardworking, dedicated people. And um, as I came out of college and I really found what I was passionate about, which was the builder developer world and home building and new community work and, and really building community, um, and I compare that with the business, the entrepreneur side of things. Um, I was just in my wheelhouse and it literally to this day, I still wake up with a fire in my belly. And then it really turned into, hey, I get to do my dream job and what I love to do, but now I get to do it with the people I love and the people that inspire me and the people that make me a better person. And, and then it's all over. I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's just, it's, it's really, the thing that gets me out of bed is the people I get to work with every day. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that because you have your personal family and you have your work family and the work family, right? Though the, it, it, We spend a lot of time at work, all of us do. So if you have good company culture and enjoy the people you work with and are fighting these battles side by side, essentially, is that there's a camaraderie built, there's a friendship, and, and it just drives you a little bit more as their mentor. Yeah, well, and it's, it's the same that holds true not only for the people internally, but the people externally. We have such amazing clients and such amazing industry partners. And to your point, we're a very relationship-based business. So when we have hard times in the industry, those relationships become even more important. And when you have those kind of people that share visions, I mean, we really can affect change in the types of communities that we're building. And that's important. Well, and especially as you think of the business development arm, you know, not sometimes we're a little short-sighted. I shouldn't say we, but in, in our industry, as far as the value of that relationship or the communication process, because, you know, having those systems in place and setting proper expectations and delivering on those, it leads to more work, at least more business development. And for you, where you're looking for repeat clients in the developer world, as you perform and you, and, and you bring value, it's going to consistently put you on the top of the list when they're looking at their next venture. 100%. And it is our job and we've earned the reputation in the marketplace. It is our job to come to the table and to be able to educate our clients on what's next you know, how, how do we know the consumer better than any other business or creative partner? And, and that's important. And that's what we come to the table with. So how often are you involved in the feasibility study developer? Cause you work with a lot of developers and, you know, commercial in that realm. And, and, and for these projects to be successful, you know, master plan communities or, you know, dense living, I mean, they're going to go through and they're going to understand the demographic. They're going to understand cost of construction, design, furnishings, all these elements, so how often do you get involved from the very beginning as they're working through the financing and the, and the capital that's going to have to come to the table for these projects? Oh, it's a majority of my job now. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, the firm is made up with such incredible designers as far as a visionary perspective that I spend most of my time on the research and development side. I spend most of my time working with developers um, when they're trying to pitch things to capital partners. Um, so much of my time is, is spent there specifically because we want to be and continue to be on the forefront of our industry and we want to continue to affect change. And the only way we can do that is by partnering with the right builders and developers on the front end. Very valuable. I mean, what people don't realize that I would imagine is from your side too, is that part of the pitch to the capital partners and the investors is as these visions come to mind and they want to bring it to fruition, they have to have First of all, they have to have their ducks in a row, right? They have to understand the cost. They have to understand the ROI, everything that goes into it. But part of that sales pitch is not just, you know, a balance sheet or a projection here. It's also, here's the team, right? Here's Trio Design. Mm -hmm. 
that has this credibility, right? They have this reputation. They're going to perform. They're going to hit time is money. They're going to hit the deadlines. And here's the architect we're bringing on, and here's the contractor, right? And so that's part of the pitch, too, is this the reputation you built because that's how they're going to make this deal happen. Absolutely. I mean, so much of it on the front end is understanding your target market and what you're trying to accomplish and what's the intention behind the project and how do you articulate that? And then, you know, a vision is only so good as the team that can execute in my mind. So um, having that balance of knowing what's coming down the pipeline as it relates to our consumers, how to put the vision together, how to put the brand story together, and then have a whole team um, waiting, you know, on the sidelines to execute and not only execute, but ex execute with complete precision. I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. Oh, absolutely. So what keeps you up at night? You know, the stress of the company, some of the pain points that you deal with regularly? You know, probably the stuff that keeps me up at night is more of the unknown factors versus, you know, the things within the organization. Um, and that's that's usually industry specific, you know, so what's going on in politics, what's going on in our society, are we going to be able to get the next land deal, you know, more of the advocacy side of things keeps me up at night yeah. versus, you know, are we going to get that sofa to get in the clubhouse by, you know, in seven days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that I think we have an incredible industry, one that I'm incredibly grateful to be part of just because I do think that we can affect so much change in, in our world just by how we, we build and vision and execute on new communities. And that's really important to me. So, you know, it's one of those things you never give up on. It's, it's interesting how that mindset changes, right? As, as I'm sure with your role now CEO, the mindset does change on what does stress you out, you know, and you're looking more, you know, longevity, you're looking at two years down the road, five years down the road, you know, certain laws or tax bills that come up, you know, and how does that affect your immediate clientele as well as yourself and your company and organization? I mean, this is really what you should be doing as a CEO and owner. And this is where the, the big stress comes from that, you know, as a day-to-day -day employee, you know, they're not looking at all that. They're looking at their immediate, you know, forecast. Yeah, that's right. And, and that is my job. That's And my other job is to make sure that we don't become obsolete. So how are we continually working towards innovation? What you know, how are we looking at workflow and optimization and what technology can we integrate into the firm to make sure that we're always staying on the forefront of things. And so that's where I spend a lot of my time. I love that you brought that up innovation. It's something that for whatever reason, more in my field probably, but construction is like, we're so slow moving, you know, mm -hmm. it just with techniques or products, you know, labor, it's this, it's the slowest moving industry. And, and we're, very reluctant to, you know, adapt new technology, new information. And I've seen part of the value I see in social media is I see that innovation. I see that happening. I see products out there. I see, you know, building signs, different applications, you know, structurally and, you know, how to build a house. that's going to be a lot more energy efficient, but also healthy for the client in the long term, right? Especially with COVID. And you see that, and that's really what we should all be aiming towards is what, how can we keep doing that R and D, as you mentioned, Angela, to say, how am I setting my firm apart from, from everybody else? 100%, because it takes us all. And, and I think because I spend so much of my time on the forefront these days in research and development, you know, a lot of my attention has been focused on wellness and it's been focused on attainability. And I've been studying, you know, the module building systems, you know, workflow and optimization in terms of that. And how can we be, bring a better, uh, sustainable, healthier product to, to market you know, with less time and at a reasonable price point that people can afford. 
And those are real conversations and not any one person can solve for those uh, challenges. And so it takes an incredible group of people coming together that are dedicated to, to constantly kind of chipping away at these things. Yeah, I love that you do that. So where does the passion from interior design come from? You mentioned that, you know, having <laughs> some genealogical, you know, large family through your grandparents, you know, 10 kids, and you have this ambitious entrepreneurship mentality, but where did design play a role? Um, you know, I think when I started out in college, I started out in business. I started out in marketing and design. Um, I went straight into the business world, you know, full force ahead. And I was like, the, I, this isn't creative enough for me. So I, I did end up going back for design and then eventually on to get a master's degree in sustainable design. And once I, once I got to that plateau of understanding how I could fuse those two worlds together, I really became passionate because I could get both the business side of things, but also the creativity and continue to do design work that I love to do. Um, but it was just easier for me to, to fuse those things together into something I was really passionate about. You're, you're doing design, trying to figure out the company, business development, you know, the projects started on to what you're doing now, you know, how did that transformation? Oh my God, it's like night and day. When I started my career in design, I was still going to, to school for design. And, you know, I started off with residential clients and, you know, as design, we all know as designers, like you have to build your confidence up. <laughs> you, yes. start making, yes. you start making decisions and you're like, oh God, I hope that pink color works. Textiles work. Oh my God, that $10,000 sofa. I just ordered in that custom COM fabric. I hope that comes out okay. Anyway, so you, you, you just end up building your confidence um, in that regard. And, you know, the residential work led to working with real estate agents in terms of new community work that led me to developers. And then once I was there with developers and policymakers and capital partners and so forth, I really could thrive because I could still be designing and storytelling, which is something that I am super passionate about. How do we line, align the design with the brand position? Um, how do we connect the dots? I'm very passionate about that. It allowed, it allowed that creative outlet, but it also allowed me to use my real, you know, um, hone in on my real business skills, which are understanding budgets, understanding what it means to bring it to market on time and how much that's gonna cost our developers if we don't make, bring it to market on time and so forth. And so it's, I mean, we li I literally went from a little one-off project, <laughs> residential work, to these monster 400-unit uh, multifamily projects, and they're just totally two different things. <laughs> well, and, and, and what's amazing about this is, you know, you, you think about, I'm sure, your own career, Angela, and it's not like, yeah, I wish I would have known A, B, and C, maybe some more confidence, maybe understand pricing, you know, how to do my structure, what, what's my time worth? But there is a fine balance as you're starting your company and you're growing to the value proposition that you bring to the client, as well as the confidence and experience you have, right? And as you go over time, more confidence comes, you know, more security as far as your knowledge of the industry and to set proper ex expectations. And yeah, then the compensation will follow along the way. But, but there is a growth there and it's hard to go back and say, well, I would have done this different or I wish I'd known this because really it's a journey to where you are now today. Oh, 100%. I don't regret one single piece of my journey because I learned so much along the way. And that, and to your point, that was part of it. Um, I just, you know, one of my things that I, I always say is I love coming around the table with really smart people. And so I always surrounded myself. I knew that I could deliver on the creative side of it, the design side of it. 
But then I got to a place where I wanted to be challenged and I wanted to learn. And so I put myself in very uncomfortable situations and I listened and I listened some more and then I listened some more and then I took all of that knowledge and I started to apply it to other facets of the organization. And, um, you know, that's never going to go wrong when you when you kind of, you know, take a culture or adopt a philosophy of constantly learning. It, it, it's a great perspective to have because the ability to listen, the ability to chase and to understand and interpret what others are doing. And then at the same time, as you mentioned, when you surround yourself with people that are successful, uh, you know, that have been successful and, and to see, just watch them, what are their attributes, how they communicate, right? How they handle their day-to-day, their schedule management. And then what are they pursuing? And, and as you listen and take note, you know, and you start to apply these things, you know, you're, you're essentially getting that free education as you're tag teaming yourself along with these developers and successful entrepreneurs. Yeah. And then pretty soon the, the tables turn and, you know, all of a sudden <laughs> people have, want, want to sit around your table and it's, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun dynamic, you know? So, you know, going back to design, um, you know, what, what makes a good design? What are things that you look at that your team looks at, you know, in evaluating that for your clients? Um, from my perspective, because we work with builders and developers, I think what makes great design is being able to understand our consumer and being under and understand where the consumer's going, understand the demands of those consumers, and then marrying that with unlimited creativity and being able to tell that story. I mean, it's one thing to be able to design exceptional projects. And we, I know a lot of designers that design beautiful work but you have to be just as masterful at uh, articulation and storytelling and selling the vision as you are putting it together. And so I think what makes great design is something that's very uh, emotionally invoking and can tell a story and capture a vision and get people excited. And what's interesting is you've spoken about this a few times, even how we started this conversation about wellness, right? Wellness week and, and you implement wellness into your designs, you know, and this goes back to the R and D you've spoken about is understanding the client, probably the project and what they're trying to target and going back to that feasibility study, what they're trying to achieve by you understanding that and then implementing wellness. That's how you're able to manage and marry their vision to what you're creating. 100%. And the idea that we have developed a wellness program internally at TRIO is very strategic and it's very intentional uh, because I believe that it's very hard to live a well life in an unwell environment. And if we're not well, then we're not at our highest expression of creativity. And our clients and uh, builders and developers hire us to to be and we are responsible for delivering that highest expression of creativity that we can and so we all need to be well so in addition to the wellness week which is unique i mean i i think it's really cool honestly i've never heard of a company doing that i mean like as i mentioned i mean there's some that do it may i I know there's a builder nick schiffer ns builders and what he he does it for july 4th like that's kind of Mm -hmm. mid-year let's take a break recharge he gives them the week off for july 4th enjoy that time summer Mm -hmm. um and, and again, you know, Christmas or holidays, you know, that season, you know, but to do something as you're doing where it's just, hey, no, this is the goal. It's not we're just closing shop, but this is a true wellness week and you need to take care of your mental health yeah. and yourself. It's just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we pair that with other things within the organization that work towards wellness as well. It's not just Wellness Week. You know, we have a one-story building that all of our creatives house out of with the idea that they can have access to natural light at all times of the day. We have live plants within the environment. We we promote walking meetings where people will go outside and walk for meetings versus being on this Zoom call, you know, <laughs> and pair that with Wellness Week. And then we also have a wellness coach, actually, that we make available to all of our employees on a day-to-day basis, and they can have one-on-one time with that person. And she also does uh, what she calls weekly lives. And so she gets the organization together and does all this wellness stuff with them. So there's, there's quite a few things that we do to, to make sure that our people are healthy. I love that you have those resources available. And then something else, you know, what is the Trio Do Good Initiative? Oh, my gosh. This is, this is one of my other passionate our <laughs> little houses. So the Do Good Initiative was Trio's commitment, and this has been around for years and years and years, that, you know, the better we did as an organization, the more that we were going to give back. And so whether that was financial or whether that was our time or whatever it was, we could commit to always giving back. Even when the market goes down, we can give back our time. And when we're thriving financially, we can give back more um, financially. And so uh, that is TRIO's platform uh, of pro bono work every year. And it changes um, from year to year in terms of what projects we're working on. Um, This year, we adopted a St. Francis house, which is across from St. Francis Hospital, and the idea is is that it houses the families that have children in the NICU unit, and they don't have a place to go, but they have to be really close to the hospital 24 hours a day and work with doctors and so forth. So this gives them an environment where they can go, they can decompress, they can sleep overnight, their hotel rooms. So um, we're designing that project and a couple of other you know smaller projects within that program and then that program on a consistent basis has one charity of choice which is the exceptional education outreach project or uh program in the bahamas and that works with uh you know kids in the bahamas that may be falling behind in the primary classroom for whatever reason because they're struggling you know academically or they may have a medical issue, like one of the kids in fifth grade couldn't read and we found out that she couldn't hear. And once we fixed that, she was, she was great. And so this program works to identify when kids are falling behind, take them out of the classroom, work with them one-on-one at their level, and then integrate them back into the classroom. So we work really hard with that organization. It's an exceptional organization. Lang, um, who has become a friend, is the executive officer of that. Uh, program and we work uh, not only on the board but we work to support that program and to also build small schoolhouses so they have a safe secure environment to which to learn in I love that you do that you know I've a really early mentor of mine right when I graduated college he said something you know very profound to this effect of what you're speaking Angela and he, you know his motto is generosity precedes prosperity and that was he, he you know he had been very blessed in his life and became very successful but he said he never forgot that. Like he'd always been generous and he was, he was generous to me and, 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 and a lot of things he did. And, and really by, so, so, so how did that come as part of a staple of your organization to say, Hey, this is our do good initiative. This is what we're doing at trio. Um, I would say, it, I mean, it was just always innate. I mean, I always knew that that's where I was going to go with it. Um, I, you know, nobody reads a financial statement better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, but but my point in telling you that is that I was never driven by the bottom line and profit and, and so forth. I mean, obviously, we you know, it's important, but I, you know, what drives me is the more successful we are, 
the better that we become as an organization, the more freedom and flexibility we have to give back to our communities. And whether that's in our with our design work or whether that's building schools or whatever it is, I believe that you know affecting change is important. And I think taking care of oneself as well as the others around you is important. And um, I think what drives me to do so well and be successful is so that we have the flexibility to give back. <laughs> I mean, well, I know that sounds funny, but it, it is. But, but yeah, you do have to be in a position to do that. But at the same time, it's a mentality, right? It's, it's something innate where when you have that vision, call it karma, call, call it vision board, whatever, where you have this, you know, lasting impression that I'm going to make on people, right? What's my reputation? What is the change to give them back? And, and when you understand, you know, th that core principle, you know, you're going to cater your business, you're going to cater your mentality, which then it, it channels down automatically, you know, just that do good initiative when the team sees they get to work on, you know, St. Francis for the NICU, right? And in the Bahamas, I mean, I'm sure that's something where they say, hey, Ansel doesn't just tell us to do this in wellness, but this is a true principle and this is what we believe in. Yeah, I mean, I think it it starts with the core of our culture internally at TRIO. And I have always said from day one that we do so much more than just design. We build communities and that's that's important. We're not just designing. I love that. So getting back to the business side a little bit, even outside of you know the Do Good Initiative, which I really love, how do you manage the complexity going back to just the business operation? Because you have a location right in California and Colorado, right? You have two locations. So how often do you have to travel or your team have to travel for projects? And how do you manage the dynamic of having two offices? <laughs> um, the dynamic of two offices is not hard because of the people that are leading up both offices, which is great. Um, to answer your question, do we travel? Yes, I travel every week. A lot of the team members travel every week, but that's pretty that's that's pretty much project specific because we're meeting with clients, presenting, installing, um, so forth. Um, but you know, when you I, I know this sounds cliche and I know it sounds fluffy, but when you have the right people in place, it. it it, it's not hard. I mean, the complexity of the organization is certainly there and there's challenges and opportunities every day, but having the right people sitting around the table in the right capacity is, it makes it fun. It, and, and I don't think that's fluffy. I think it's reality, right? Yeah. If you want to be a successful organization, as you mentioned, Angela, you have to have systems in place. You have to have core values. You have to have you have to be leading that charge. And then you have to put people in place that can perform and evaluate their talent and then empower them, as you mentioned, given the autonomy that you mentioned, not micromanage them and, and let them succeed. Yeah, yeah. And I really do feel that way within our organization. There's not one person that's any more important in our organization than anybody else. We just come together time and time again to move towards the same direction. And that's really important for us. Amazing. So what's upcoming and exciting for the team at TRIO? Oh my gosh, we have so much. Well, we're, we're closing out Q3 and rounding into Q4. Uh, we've had an exceptional year. We have 30% revenue increase again this year, 54% headcount increase. We are, wow. uh, we are running full charge into the, the wellness initiative and what's going on in that part of our industry and how we can affect change in our own projects, both on the multifamily side and the builder to 
decide as it relates to wellness. Um, I am very keen on the attainability perspective of that. And I think a large part of that um, vision is working not only with our builders, developers, and architects, certainly, but um, I'm starting to pull in and fold in the manufacturers, which I think is a very important component to the discussion that has been missing around the table for a very long time. And so I am very excited to have more discussions with you know, all stakeholders involved so that we can accomplish our goals of wellness and attainability in our industry. Oh, it's been amazing, Angela. I mean, it's just this conversation has really excited me. I've been looking forward to this just to understand the operation. You know, I, I don't want to say envy, but I admire what you're doing and what you're creating with Wellness Week with such an incredible team, the projects you have, your portfolio, your website. I mean, everything you're doing is just you really set the bar for our industry. And it's it's good because we all need people to chase and people to, you know, to pattern after. So thank you for that example. And so where can our listeners find you? Oh, you can always find me on the website, which is triodesign.com. You can find us on Instagram um, and you can find us on Facebook. Well, we'll get all that tagged in the show notes. And Angela, thank you so much for making time today. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. This has been such a pleasure. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.